When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Push him down. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that. On Talk Sport. You're listening to Fight Night with me, Gareth A. Davis. It's the podcast of the Fight Night for Talk Sports. Spencer Oliver is joining me on the show tonight, and he's great value, as always. A massive bumper show to start the year. We start this week with uh, an intro to two-weight world champion, Carl Frampton, who fights Jamel Herring in just a few weeks' time, looking to win a third world title in a different weight category when he challenges Herring for the WBO title. Here's what the Northern Irishman had to tell me. Spence was saying at the top of the show, and I completely agree, you've stuck yourself out there again. You want this world title in a third weight division. How's the camp going? Um, And how are you going to beat this guy, Jamel Herring? Well, first of all, the camp's going very well. Um, no complaints coming from me. I feel like I'm where I need to be. I've been happy with how I've been performing and sparring. Um, Jamie and Nigel Travis have been happy with my sparring as well. Um, I feel like I'm like a fine wine. I feel like I'm getting a wee bit better with age. I just I just done a PB um, floor press the other day in the gym. So I'm lifted more than ever. All, all drug free, by the way, as well. So... Um, I, I'm in a good place and I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for this fight. I've got them Twitter people tonight saying, is Gareth on something? No, I'm just excited to be back and excited that we've got so many great fights coming up and yours is one of them. It's going to be in London, Carl. Do you know where it is yet? No, I don't know. So I, the last I heard was they were, I think, I think they're being optimistic. I think they're hoping for some sort of a small crowd, 500 people maybe. Um, and if they can do that, they would put it in the copper box, I'm hearing. If not, um, I think the BT Studios. But again, I just I, I feel like that's being optimistic. I, I, I feel like it's just going to be in the BT Studios, I think. Cole, your career started back in 2009. You've had an incredible career winning Super Bantamweight World Titles, Featherweight World Titles. You're now up at Super Featherweight. This guy is tall. He's a slick southpaw. He's tough. 
Do you feel now, Cole, at this age, 33 years of age, do you feel that this is your last shot at the big time if it, if it doesn't go right for you? And are you confident going into this one against this this challenger, uh, this champion? Yeah, look, I, I think I think you're right. Look, I'm a realist, Spencer, and, and, and it is my last shot. You know, I can't, if, if I don't beat Jamel Harim, there's, there's not going to be another opportunity for me arising. So I intend to do that. I intend to go in and put everything on the line and do whatever it takes to win the fight. And I, I'm really confident. I, I just, I don't know, I just, I just have this real feeling of, of belief that I'm going to win this fight. I don't know what it is. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not overconfident. I'm not like writing this guy off. I know it's going to be a hard fight, a really hard fight. But I just, I'm full of confidence right now. And I feel like, I just feel like it's going to happen and I'm going to win and I feel like I'll win convincingly as well. When you fought Darren Trainer, and it, you know, it was a difficult fight because it was his world title fight back in August, really, you know, against a guy, everyone was saying, oh, Carl wins this easily. Has it helped you? I, I suspect if it is at the Copper Box and it's February the 27th, it may be very difficult to get a crowd in. So having that fight against Trainer without a crowd there, and it is different, Carl. Carl, I've been there on some massive, Spencer too, on some massive nights in Belfast, in Manchester, in Las Vegas, on the East Coast of America, the biggest nights possible, that that helped you maybe mentally going into a fight where it's a huge fight for you, but there may be no crowd there. Yeah, I think so. I think I needed that fight. If I'd have been going in blind, and not really knowing what it was going to be like fighting with no no crowd, no atmosphere. It, 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 for the trainer fight, for example, I went into the fight in my head thinking, don't get complacent here. Mm. But I did get complacent. And I think part of that was down to the lack of atmosphere, but it was also down to no disrespect to Darren Trainer, the level of opposition. And it, it was hard for me to get out of second gear. Now, Jamel Herring is a completely different fighter than Darren Trainer. It's going to be, you know, it's a world title fight for me. This is an absolutely huge fight. A chance for me to go down in history as a three-way world champion. So I don't think it's going to be the same, but I'm glad I had that experience with Darren Trainer. But I'm going to be up for this fight, whether there's 500 people or five people here. It, it, it won't, want, mm. won't matter to me. I don't think it's going to affect my performance. Yeah, Cole. How do you win this fight against Herring? You know, he's a tall southpaw. We've seen he likes to throw, switch it up to the body, to the head. Do you think having home advantage is going to be a big time in your favour? And also, you've got that amateur pedigree as well, where you're used to fighting in front of no crowds. You know, you've done that many a times before. But how do you win the fight against Herring? I mean, what have you got a game plan? Is there, is there any different tactics if the fight's not Come going on, Spill the right? beans, Carl. Spill the beans. <laughs> well, there's, there's a few ways. Well, I, I don't think he's listening. There's, I feel like there's a few ways to beat him, and I don't. I don't think people just look at our dimensions and think, you know, I'm short, he's tall, I'm going to have to get on him. But I don't necessarily see it like that. I, I feel like that. Although the only the only real thing he has on his side here is his height and his his physicality and his size. I'm. I feel like my feet are better than his. I punch faster than him. Um, my distance control is better than his. I feel like I've got a lot going for me here, and and I feel like there's different ways to beat him. I'm not going to give too much away, but there will be times where I have to stand and have a fight. There will also be times where I feel like I could outbox this guy. And something that I've done in the past, and I've done it with taller opponents before, they they don't know what to do when a small guy um, 
midget some people call me a small guy like me starts hitting with a job they they it really buckles them how are they getting hit by this you know a guy that they're completely outsizing and i'm hitting them with a job and i think their game plan falls apart then so when i start landing my job on jamel hurring due to my distance control and reactions i feel like um you'll not know what to do i i hear the old carl frampton mantra coming out here carl box when they fight fight when they box and that's when you've always been at your very very best yeah look i i i feel like i know what i have to do to win this fight and um if if the game plan that i'm going to try and impose at the start doesn't work then there's different ways or and different game plans i, I feel like we'll, we'll have to put on this guy and, and i feel like that there will be a time in the fight where we have to stand i feel like that will suit me when we stand and have a fight. I feel like he will stand and have a fight even though he doesn't want to. And the simple reason is his legs aren't what they once used to be. And I think that's a lot down to doing the weight and, and how big he is. He's got to struggle to make the weight. He doesn't move his feet as much as he should. And I think at a point in the fight, he's going to have to stand and have a fight with me. And that's where I'm going to have a lot of success, I think. Brilliant stuff as always from Carl Frampton. He really is a terrific fella, an amazing boxer. Good luck to him when he meets Jamel Herring. Well then, with all the news about Tyson Fury and the Matchroom um, series of events that's coming up, uh, Frank Smith joined myself and Spencer Oliver live and here's what he had to tell us. Even though he'd nearly think gone to bed and fallen asleep before he joined us on the show Frank's always great value and here's what he had to say Josh Warrington dumps his his IBF belt in the bin and you know is obviously going to fight Lara we've talked about that earlier in the show Um, but he's done the right thing I think to get this uh, unification fight with uh, with Ken Shu yeah obviously the Lara fight was a fight we had planned and announced uh, you know over two weeks ago now um, and yeah, the big fight for him is Kanzu in the summer, or not even in the summer. You know, we're looking at April time for that, or or the, or the likes of Gary Russell Jr. as well. So yeah, I think he's done the right thing. Um, and you know, it's one of those things we've been discussing a lot uh, around the position with the sanctioning bodies. And you know, he's made a call that is right for his career. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Two other big questions for you. Eddie Hearn announced on Thursday that he has agreed to a two-fight deal with Canel, Saul Canelo Alvarez, which is brilliant news, and also Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. How is that coming along, Frank? Yes, yeah, so firstly, you know, the Canelo news, great news, two-fight deal. Obviously, kicking it off with the Avni Yildirim fight on Feb 27. Yeah. And then we're working on his, uh, you know, working to get all the plans together for his fight in May after that as well. Um, Billy Joe Saunders or not? Hopeful, hopeful that's the one we want. You know, we want to try and make that happen. Uh, it's the right fight for Billy Joe Saunders. And, um, you know, fingers crossed we can get that on. Um, and then, obviously, the second one you mentioned there, the, the big one, Joshua Fury, um, which is kind of in the, uh, the right direction. Everything is, is looking good. Um, you know, a bit of work still to be done. But I think all sides are, are moving in the right direction. And sooner rather than later, we'll see that, we'll see that made. Frank, we've got stacks of shows now being announced, you know, starting from February the 13th, going right through. We've got February, um, we've got February the 20th, we've got February the 27th, 20th, uh, March the 5th, March the 6th. There's loads of shows going on. 
Are they all expected to be in this country, Frank, or are you planning to do any of them abroad? And how difficult has it been this second time around in in this pandemic? Yeah, look, I think we I think we thought uh, I guess a lot of people thought we were we were coming out of it. You know, when we had a thousand people at the Joshua fight, that was a good sign of the the way the way things were going, or so we thought. Um, you know, obviously at the start of the start of January, we had the news that there'd be no boxing in January, which was a shame, but. We work closely with the border control uh, to get to get that um, up and running again from February onwards. So Warrington, as you say, Feb 13th, Josh Kelly, Avenesian, great fight. We're looking forward to on Feb 20th. Uh, March 6th is the Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin rematch. And then March 20th, Akoli Glowacki, April 10th, Ben, Connor Ben returns against Vargas. So, you know, a real, a real strong line-up of cards coming in. The plan is for those to happen in the UK. There's been some discussions about Povetkin, uh, White taking place abroad, which, you know, could happen. But I think more than likely that's going to be in the UK as well. Um, and, you know, we, we, our aim is to keep things moving. And as soon as we can get people back in, we will do. Frank, um, just going back to um, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, which, as Spence and I were talking about at length earlier, it's kind of one of those fights that's so big... It allows, and the Canelo fights are very big as well, it allows an entire schedule to be set around them, if you know what I mean, because the way that our sport is structured, um, you know, you get these huge peaks. Do you see anything getting in the way? And I've noticed both Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, we're not getting that kind of silly little leak of this or silly little leak of that. Can you verify for us tonight? Can you certify for us tonight on TalkSport, on Fight Night with myself and, and Spencer Oliver, that we are definitely moving ahead and there won't be delays and we will get that contract. T's crossed, I's dotted by the end of the month. I'm not going to guarantee you a million percent anything, but I can say it is moving very much, as I said, in the right direction. You know, both parties want it. There's been lots of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to work on the, those agreements and get those together. Um, and then the, the work, I think, really starts after that point, early February, when we start putting together the, you know, the site proposals, the broadcaster proposals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd really like to hope by the end of February, we have everything in place, that being a date, a site, you know, broadcasters agreements. There's a lot of work still to be done, even when we agree the initial contract. You know, there's still a lot to be done. But I'm very, very positive that we can we can get that fight on for sure. Uh, you know, May June time. Frank, is it possible that we could see this fight going across different broadcasters? Is my first question. And how likely is it that this fight will be abroad as opposed to in this country because of the pandemic? No crowds. I know that you've had offers coming in from all around the world. You know, Middle East, Australia, China, Singapore, but. Is it is it quite likely that this first fight will go ahead abroad and the second fight we would be hoping to get back in this country maybe later on in the year? Yeah, look, I think it is a struggle at the minute. We'd love to do 100,000 people at you know the National Stadium, um, but I just can't see that happening. I can't see us getting to full arenas any time this year, if I'm completely honest. Um, so you know, I think in the in the first instance, we, as you mentioned there, we've had a lot of approaches from a lot of different territories interested in staging this fight. Um, and you know, we, we've obviously 
we come under pressure from fans who say it's got to be in the UK, we should do it in the UK, but at the same time, we have to do the best for both the fighters' careers. You know, we represent Anthony Joshua, and uh, we have to do the best for him. So uh, I think the, the first fight will end up in the outside of the UK, and then, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with the second fight. But, um, you know, there's a lot, like, our aim is to get the fight on, and if that means it takes place in... Timbuktu, but people get to see it. I, I think that's that's good for the sport still. Yeah, no, and, I, and I, the broad... sorry, sorry, I was just going to say about the broadcasters as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, uh, I think there's, as I say, there's work to be done there. I do think there's opportunity for a number of different broadcasters to show it. Um, you know, it's a it's a very complex situation. Um, you know, each side has got partners they work with for a long time and have, and have supported, you know, the, the fighters up to this point. Um, but, yeah, I can see it working that way. We've seen it on many occasions before, mainly with U.S. broadcasters, where like HBO and Showtime have worked together. Mm. Um, you know, on this occasion, we've got Sky Sports and BT. You've got ESPN and DAZN. So, you know, we'll, we'll start working through those those details once we get, you know, the initial contract together and agree well our thanks to Frank Smith for joining us this week it was a bumper show as I said so next up was Josh Taylor the two belt holding champion in the light welterweight division who is looking to fight Jose Ramirez for a unified um, sorry undisputed title at light welterweight this year possibly in May um, and the Tartan Tornado tore into, not us, but into everyone who challenges him, particularly Mr. Ramirez, who he thinks he beats handily. Here's what Josh had to tell us. It is the one and only Josh Taylor. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, lads. How are you? How are you? Yeah, all good, I like Josh. Thanks, mate. I like hearing that pound for pound introduction. I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Should you be above Tyson Fury? Listen, I, I don't really know. Um, you know, I, <laughs> it, is what, it is what it is. I'm not really bothered, but I just like I just like being regarded as you know, and I like hearing pound for pound. So I'm not really too fussy about it. Uh, once I whip Ramirez, I'm definitely above him. So once I whip Ramirez, I'm definitely above him. <laughs> for those listening who don't know Josh Taylor, who is a brilliant person and an even more brilliant boxer, a developing fighter, seventeen and zero in his career. Um, a unified light welterweight champion. He is looking at an undisputed 140-pound title with a fight with a guy called Jose Ramirez, who is... Stop laughing, Spencer. I like to roll my R's. Porque yo hablo español y tú no, no entiendes ni una palabra, Spencer Oliver. Oliver. Um, because oh, Bob Arum promotes and Bob will be on later and we'll talk to him because Bob promotes both Josh and Jose we're looking at that fight sometime maybe in May and June this year are you hearing that yourself Josh yeah well I think it's going to be about May time um, obviously we haven't heard anything uh, officially or anything like that but that's just all the, the rumours that are going around that are just looking like uh, May so yeah, we think we think it's going to be then so we're looking forward to it so I'm already been in the gym I've been in the gym uh, constantly anyway so um, yeah we're looking forward to it I'm nice and fit and yeah I can't wait to get going I'm, I've never been so motivated to be honest so yeah I just can't wait to get uh, the green light and, uh, and just crack on with sparring full steam ahead yeah and let's go can't wait 
Yeah, Josh, we're looking for the unification here against Jose Ramirez, who's 26 and 0, well, 17 KO. I think Josh is. Uh... Go ahead, Spence. I think I, I just thought Josh went underwater then for a moment, but you carry on. No, yeah. So anyway, before we got interrupted, uh, Josh, uh, Jose Ramirez, 26 no 17 KOs. He's the other champion in the weight. Now, I, I studied him a little bit, actually. I think he's very flat-footed. Yes, he's a great fighter. He switches to the body well, switches the head. But I think your speed of hand and speed of movement, I think you win that fight. And I think you win it quite comfortably, actually. If you do that, Josh, and you come through that fight... Would you ever be looking at going up to mix with the bigger names, the people like the Errol Spences, the Terence Crawfords, you know, the pound-for-pound pound stars? Would you look to go up to that weight? Because you're bigger than super lightweight as well, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. You know, that's that's the goal. You know, once, once and like you said, I do 100% believe I'm going to win this fight. Um, I've, watched, mm. I've watched Romero's a hell of a lot, and, you know, I just... I just don't see it. Just don't see it does anything better than me at all in every department. Yeah, I agree. I'm better than them in every department. Um, um, boxing IQ certainly, but just that's just no question. Boxing IQ, boxing on the back foot, boxing on the front foot, fighting. I, I believe I'm a better fighter than him as well. I don't believe he's mm. fighting inside games that good either. Um, you know, I just I just think I've got the beating him of of him in every department. You know. Um, I really think it's um, down to me and the way I take this fight on and the way I, I decide to fight. I think it's down to me in terms... Um, I think it's my fight to lose, you know, in terms of the way I fight. You know, I think it's I think mm. it's my fight to lose, really. But, yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and disrespect him. I think he's a great fighter. He is a very good great fighter, you know. You don't become unified world champion for no reason. So, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, bad mouth him and, and slag him off because I do respect him. He's got two areas and he's done well and he's unbeaten. So I'm not going to bad mouth him. I've got respect for him. But I just believe I, I win that fight hands down. And then, sure. yeah, after after I've, after I've beat him, um, you know, the, I've, I've got nothing left really to prove at the weight. You know, I've, I've got the four belts. I've beaten everybody that's been put in front of me. You know, my last four opponents are over 100 wins and one loss. And, you know, so I, I've... I've I've done a hell of a lot in my last four or five fights, mm. so um, I've really got nothing else to prove at one forty. It would be to to go up and uh, you know and, and challenge and prove myself at one four seven and and hopefully become a two weight world champion. Yeah, Josh, you were talking about you know styles and it was this Ramirez fight would be there for you to lose if you if you got it tactically wrong. But I want to take you back to the Regis Progre fight when you won the World Boxing Super Series. I was at ringside for that fight. And by the way, that was, for me, fight of the year and one of the best fights I'd actually witnessed live. The boxing IQ from both of you guys in there and the toughness that you both showed was incredible. I think that you can box as well on the front foot as you, as you do on the back foot. You've, you've proved that because a lot of people think you're more of a stylistic fighter than, than, a, than, a, than a guy that can actually sort of bite down on his gum shield. But you proved in that fight that you can you like to mix it up as well as box on the out, outside. So I don't think that Ramirez brings anything to the table that could actually beat you, mate. And I think that your real test would come up at welterweight. Yeah, I don't, I, honestly, I don't think, though, you know, it's, um, I think that's where I'm best when I'm in mid to close range that's where I'm, I'm most dangerous um but then i can i can mix it up i can go in the back foot i can be stylistically i can be style can i can sharpen it up i can box on the back foot and just box you know and be smart but you know i think i think i really can do can do it all really spence you know and um mm. yeah i do feel I'll, I'll be i'll be much more um suited up at 147 as well you I mean i'm making 140 totally comfortable at the minute as well i'm not really like that last fight there, um, 
Kongstong, my, my mandatory, that was the easiest I ever made weight, you know, since I bring in a nutritionist on board. And, you know, I just breezed away. It wasn't an issue at all. So I, I feel I could be, I could, I could possibly be a career 140 pounder. Um, but once I beat Ramirez, um, there's not really much else to prove at that weight, you know, so it'd be, it'd be going up to 147 and, you know, chasing your likes of your Crawford, your Errol Spences and stuff. And the, I call it the sexy division, you know, because the, the, the pool of talent that's in that division um, and the money that's floating around in that division at the minute as well is just unbelievable. So it's, it's, real, it's real appealing to me and I call it the sexy division. The real, real big fights mm. are up at that weight, you know, and, and uh, career-defining and legacy-defining legacy sort of fights as well. One of the yeah. things, Josh, one of the things, Josh, I, I was um, thinking about is that the fight is most likely to take place in America because they can have a crowd there. I mean, Bob Arum had mentioned going to Edinburgh, but it doesn't look likely that we're going to be able to, you know, go to the castle or have a big crowd. So you'll probably go to America. And as I said, when I was giving you a glowing testimony at the beginning of this segment, I think that you've got the opportunity not just to be a great boxer, but to become a star as a sportsman. I've known you a long time and, you know, I'll, I'll never forget your disappointment in the London 2012 Olympics. Uh, but I'll, and I'll also never forget your success at the Glasgow Commonwealth Games where your fists were clenched and your grin was from ear to ear because you knew you'd, you'd captured a goal that you'd set yourself. This guy, Jose Ramirez... I think is a really tough fight, and I, I because as you say, he's undefeated. He's in America, but is it not a massive opportunity to make your name in America with this fight in a year when people are looking for these undisputed fights? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I've I've said this in my, my interviews uh, that I've that I've had about this fight uh, recently as well. That I actually prefer this fight to be in America because. It's the fight it, dreams are made of, you know, and then when you're sitting thinking and visualising uh, you becoming world champion or fighting, it's, it's always fighting in America and either uh, the MGM Grand with your name up in bright lights or, you know, in Madison Square Garden, you know, these, these the mecca of boxing, you know, you, you dream it, you dream of it in these places. So for it happening in, in Las Vegas or or Madison Square Garden, wherever it may be, stateside, that's a it's a dream fight and it's a it's my dream come true. So yeah, I'm absolutely delighted that um that it's sort of gonna be over in America most likely. Um I just hope that I just hope that the uh, the borders and everything the lockdown restrictions are eased up a little bit and I can take a little bit of a travel and support with me as well. You know, it'd yeah. be um, it would be awesome to bring fans with me as well to, to that fight too and make it even more memorable, not just for me, but for my fans that are coming over to watch and support me as well. Sure. Josh, you you go over to America, you make a statement, you beat Ramirez, because that's what I believe you do. I just think that your style's all wrong for him. I think you're too quick hand, too quick foot, and I think that you'll make a big statement there. You know, you've travelled the world as an amateur, so that won't be like a, a, a strange environment for you to go in. But if you go over there and make that statement, you win the fight, unify the titles, you move up... What's the most sexy fight for you up at Welterweight? You said that's where the division is, that's where the big money is, the Terence Crawfords, the Errol Spences. I mean... Who would you most like to challenge out of those guys? Yeah, I'd love to fight Terence Crawford. You know, everybody's saying he's the, the best for best, the, the best pound for pound fighter out there. You know, he was he was the last current, he was the last story, the last uh, undisputed champion at 140. So 
if I can win these belts against Ramirez, then move up to 147 and fight Crawford and then beat him. You know, that's a, that's a massive legacy fight. You know, I've also got my hero up there as well, Manny Pacquiao. To share a ring with my hero, Manny Pacquiao, would be another dream come true. You know, it just uh, it's just the, the fights and options I've got up there at the minute are just, uh, they're almost limitless. There's no limit to the options that I've got now. They're all, they're all going to be big fights, no matter what. But I really do believe I'm winning this fight um, against Jose Ramirez. And then the next step is to hopefully move up in the... Uh, and weight class, you know, I may have to take care of my mandatory and Jack Carroll first, um, um, give him a shot, like, because as he promised to wait for this fight as well. So we have to do that first, um, see what happens, and then and then we move up in 147 and go for a second weight world title. Josh, when you uh, when I came to see you in camp with Ben Davison, who I think we will hear from later in the show, I caught up with Ben a couple of days ago when I came down to Harlow there and saw you in camp before you uh, sent Appinon song back to Thailand with a with a first round incredible knockout that night. It was a brilliant performance against a very very heavy handed dangerous puncher. I remember Ben being quite concerned about his heavy hands, so he was delighted that you put in a very early shift, a very quick shift in that fight. You and I spoke, and and um, you know Spencer's pushing Terence Crawford, and Errol Spencer's a very big welterweight. Terence Crawford, like you. Um, will have come up the weights. You know, he went up from lightweight. He, I remember being in Scotland when he beat Ricky Burns and we were thinking, wow, this this uh, kid from Omaha, Nebraska is very talented and very cool, very slick. I would love to see you fight Manny Pacquiao because it might be a chance if you could get the whole of Scotland to come to it to bring this huge name at the right time for you to fight him. And he's not one of the biggest welterweights in the world. Um, and it's a real legacy-defining fight for me, for you, in terms of how big he is in terms of name. And you and I spoke about that day, and I know you want to fight the very best, and, and Pacquiao is obviously amongst them, but it's a big one again to project yourself with. And you and I spoke about Manny at length. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I would love to, I'd love to fight my hero. You know, he's a... Uh... I name my dog after him, you know. It's uh, to share, yeah, just to share a ring right. with him. Would be a, just to share a ring with him would be a, would be an honour. Um, but you know, obviously, you're going in there, you're going in there to, to win and, and hurt him up and beat him up. So yeah, I'd love to fight him. And if I could get that fight in Scotland at Edinburgh Castle or Easter Road, um, that that would be it would be absolutely brilliant. You know, it'd be that'd be the bucket list completely ticked off. You know, after I've um, fought Terence Crawford, beat Terence Crawford, fight Manny Pacquiao. That'd be my bucket list completely ticked off. There'd be nothing for left for me to do in boxing in terms of proving myself and wanting to do. I could I could happily retire after that and uh, go and enjoy the rest of my life. But knowing me, um, I, I want to keep fighting and keep fighting because I'm, I'm a born fighter. You know, I'll fight anybody. I'd fight my shadow if I could. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, then joining us from the United States was this an extraordinary female boxer, Clarissa Shields, already a three-weight world champion, a double Olympic gold medalist, only 25. I remember meeting her um, at the Olympic Games in 2012. I think she was 16 then. She was a great talent even then. And Clarissa had a bit of fun with Spencer and I on the show. Here's what she had to say. Well, you know what? I've got to say this as well. I am looking at a picture of you in 2012 with Vice President then Joe Biden. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. I was uh, right. It was right after the Olympics, and I had and I had just met him. He was a fan of boxing. Look, you you have an extraordinary life behind you. You're still only 25. I remember your debut as a pro as well on the night. Uh, Amir Khan got polaxed. I think it was that night. I think it was that night. Or was it Kovalev Ward? No, I think it was Amir Khan Canelo, wasn't it? It was Kovalev Ward. And you had, yeah, yeah, you had Hagler Hearns with a friend of mine, Franchon Cruz Desern that night. It was unreal. Do you remember that fight? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of my toughest fights that that I've had in the uh, pros so far as against Franchon Cruz, our pro debut. One of the things that has happened to you is, and I've seen you from time to time at different events as well, you have become almost like um, a symbolic figure in America for women's boxing. You are an extraordinary star over there, and yet you're still so young. How do you handle it all? How do you handle all that attention, Clarissa? Um, well, I just kind of take it with, like, a grain of salt. Like, I know why people acknowledge me. I know why I'm a hot commodity. Um, I just try to stay grounded and just try to, you know, like, you know, accept the people, you know, praising me and, you know, thinking I'm great and stuff. But I just try to keep fighting the best fighters, you know, stay in the gym, stay training, just, you know, making more goals for myself. Like, nobody knows my ultimate goal in boxing. Nobody knows, like, what. Like, when I get done, everything that I want to do, people don't know that yet. They just see, like, oh, I'm a three-time division world champion, the fastest in history. Oh, I got two Olympic gold medals. I'm a nine-time world champion. They they yeah. see that, but they don't see that I want to be, you know, I, I want to be 51 and no. Like, I want to be Floyd Mayweather's record. You know, like, that's the kind of stuff that I see in my near future. If you keep boxing, you're 10-0 at the moment, of course, undefeated. If you keep boxing that long and you fight five times, four times a year, 
for, for, for seven, eight, nine, ten more years, and I know you want to, you will be there. I tell you something you need to do, and you will recall it from 2012. There are a hell of a lot of boxing fans in the UK, and I'm sure on your social media yeah. you notice how many boxing fans you have in the UK. Come to the UK and fight Savannah Marshall, please. That is something that I had a conversation with Eddie Hearn about the day that I the the day that I beat Hannah Rankin. He and he promised me that fight. He told me he was like, I'll take Savannah Marshall. I said, You do that for me, I love you forever. Because that's a fight that I want. I don't know where this picture is being painted that I don't want to fight her or that I'm running from her. I think she's painting that picture in her own head because she's scared of me. But there's no way in the world that I have any fear toward her. Like, I would love to fight her. And when me and my team reached out to her team last year, they had told us that Savannah Marshall wasn't ready. They had said that she needed to become a world champion first and get more boxing experience, which kind of blew me away because I'm like, how does she need more boxing experience and she's the one that beat me in the amateurs? Mm. You can be saying that I need more boxing experience. <laughs> Yeah, 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 Cl yeah. Clarissa, you, you you had an incredible career as an amateur. You won the London uh, 2012 Games gold medal. Um, you won the gold medal again in Rio in 2016. World Championships twice. Incredible career as an amateur. Turned pro, and you've done what you've done as a pro. Savannah Marshall remains the only girl ever to beat you, amateur or pro. Now she's won that world title. How likely is it that we'll see that fight? And would you be happy to come to England to make that fight happen as well? Um, the fight is very likely to happen. You know what I'm saying? And uh, what we got to realize is that I'm the A side. So if my team want me to fight in America, I fight in America. And if we see it's a bigger, um, if, we, if we see that it's better for my brands to go over there and fight in the UK, we'll go over there and uh, fight in the UK. It's never been a problem with me going to somebody else's country and beating them. I've done that plenty of times. And I just think that um, Savannah Marshall lives off the fact that, you know, she got a win over me when we were, you know, in the amateurs. But, also, that was eight, nine years ago. And, you know, she should be ashamed of herself saying that she can beat me now and she's only a one-time world champion. Like, I'm a nine-time world champion in three different divisions. Like, if you're so good and you're so much better than me, how come you're not fighting the girls that I fought in taking their belts? How come I'm the only one doing all the work? That's what I have to say to her. But she knows that I want to fight with her. Um, and, the, and the thing is, I'm going to avenge my loss. As soon as she gets in the ring with me, I'm going to avenge my loss in a major way. And um, hopefully I can put all this all this talk that she's doing and all her fans to rest because Savannah Marshall is not a better fighter than me. And I've proven that. She beat me three months before the Olympics 2012. I won the Olympics three months later. I won the world championship 2014. She was there. She didn't medal. I won the world championship 2016. She was in fourth place. Bronze medal. I won the Olympics again, 2016. She was at all these major tournaments and still could not get past C-level and B-level fighters to be a gold champion. So, you know, she lived off of that, but everybody knows that in reality, I'm the one that put in the hard work. I'm the one that beat the champions to become a champion. And that's why I've reigned in at 168 pounds. I reigned at 160 and now I'm reigning at 154. And I can go to either one of those weights and call out the best girls and beat them. She can't do that. I'm hearing the T-Rex that I love now. This is, this, this is the Clarissa Shields that I love. Um, we've got to let you go. Um, just tell me this final thing. And one shouldn't 
ask a lady about her weight, obviously. But how <laughs> easily... <laughs> exactly. But how... Look, um, for those listening to the show, you know, it's it, it's a very wide show in the UK. And not everyone's fight fans that are listening. There's people all over the country listening to this. Super middleweight is 168 pounds that we call 12 stone. Um, uh, middleweight is, is, uh, is super middle uh, is 168. You go down to 160, you go down to 154. Are you having to take on special dietary things and live in a certain way, Clarissa, to keep to that weight? Because you're a tall woman as well. You're, you're a very powerful woman as well. You're 5'8". Mm. Is, it, has, is it a massive discipline to keep yourself down at that weight? It's not a massive discipline, and I just call it like a lifestyle. I'm a pescatarian. The only meat I eat is fish, a lot of rice, you know, grains. And uh, for the fight, March 5th on pay-per-view, Fight TV, I'm fighting at 154. And it's not going to be hard to make that because I walk around now at 170, 168. And, and, and really, it depends on which fight I have next on how much I walk around at. So if I have a fight at, you know, 168, I walk around at 175. If I have a fight coming up and it's at 154, I walk around at 168. It's all about just um, having a good diet, cutting off the time that you eat, and drinking lots of water. And that's something that I do every single day. Well, from Clarissa Shields, uh, the 89-year-old legendary promoter, Bob Arum, who has promoted the top boxers in the world for the last 50 years, joined us. He is, of course... Tyson Fury's promoter in America at the moment. We caught up with him about Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua and whether that fight is truly going to be made in the next few weeks. And here's what Bob had to tell us about a range of things. Well, talking about allies around the world, Bob, what's the latest from you on Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury, which is a truly global contest? Well, uh, I heard from Eddie. I talked to Eddie uh, I think it was yesterday, and Eddie will have Eddie uh, on and with the J- Joshua people will have the first draft of the contract to us on Tuesday, uh, and then I will circulate it uh, to uh, Queensbury, to Frank, uh, to uh, Tyson, uh, and to the various lawyers. And uh, we'll then get back to Eddie with our comments. And I really believe that this is pretty much of a no-brainer because everybody are professionals and want this to happen. And so I think shortly uh, we'll be able to tie this up and then jointly uh, select the site for the match. Bob, um, without wanting to go into the, you know, the tooth comb details in this or, or wanting to largesse with the legalese, because that's what it is. Eddie was saying in a call with a few of us the other day that sometimes these contracts, like you say, the draft on Tuesday, they can go back five, six, even ten times sometimes in a fight of this magnitude because there are tiny little things that need ironing out and that's why it takes so long. Is that correct? Yeah, that and, that, and particularly since we're, we're different time zones, uh, different, we're in different parts of the globe, uh, and we have to do everything, thank God, with emails. You know, when I, when I first started, 
it would take forever because we'd have to put the the drafts in the mail and then get it back. It, I mean, it was it was horrible. But now, uh, you know, with emails, it, 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 it Eddie is quite right. Uh, when we get the draft, we'll uh, put our, have our input and send them back a red line copy. They then will study it send the, uh, the, us back a copy and, and within a week or two uh, we'll have a complete meeting of the minds I'm very confident and we'll get a document uh, that the applicable parties can sign yeah Bob we spoke to Frank Smith at Matchroom earlier on in the show um, he said that you were both all parties were quite close to getting the deal done and then it was down to location now it didn't sound like it was going to happen in in england because of this pandemic and no crowds being allowed we don't think it's going to happen in america either he said there's been other offers coming in from china singapore but most likely uh, the middle east was going to be the venue do you see it that way yeah absolutely there's no question about it, uh, it, it the fight doesn't belong uh, in the united states uh, besides, our pandemic isn't over, and we can't get full crowds. Uh, but it, but again, uh, you know, I the the appropriate place would have been the United Kingdom, uh, but with the with the uh, restrictions and the uncertainty, we're looking for uh, a site uh, someplace else around the world, be it the Mid East uh, or in Asia. Uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, that uh, with, once we get this document uh, signed, that we'll jointly be able to select the site uh, and get it announced. Bob, I I'm trying to remember a detail now. You told me once, was it for the Hearns-Hagler fight or the Hagler-Leonard fight? You literally flew the guys to an airport and you flew to the same airport and you did the fight in the airport lounge. Is that right? Yeah, that's how we used to do it. Remember, we didn't, not like, not, not like everybody today, you know, they just press a button and it goes out on email and you get it signed and so forth. We had to do that. We had to have meetings in airport lounges to get the damn contract signed. You're absolutely correct. I mean, it's not only, I mean, it, that was the norm rather than, you know, for a big fight, uh, not necessarily an airport lounge, but to get together and actually get the signing done. Um, there's a couple of uh, housekeeping things I want to ask you. What next for Tio Fimo Lopez? Is there any chance he fights Ryan Garcia, by the way? Well, Maybe. I mean, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm back in L.A. from Las Vegas in my house in L.A., and I hope to talk and get together with Oscar and, uh, and Eric, Oscar De La Hoya and Eric uh, uh, Gomez, and yes. we'll discuss that. That, to me, uh, Tiafimo and Ryan Garcia would be, uh, you know, right under uh, uh, Fury and Joshua would be a massive fight, particularly here in the United States. Each of the guys have 
big, big fan bases. The pay-per-view revenue would be outstanding. So, yeah, it can happen. But, again, uh, we haven't, uh, you know, really discussed it seriously as of yet. Bob, that lightweight division at the moment has really caught fire, hasn't it, with Devin Haley, WBC champion, Javante Davis is around there as well, Tiafimo Lopez, um, Vasily Lomachenko as well. I mean, we could see some real great fights there. We could even see like a Super Six-style six type competition with these guys, couldn't we, moving forward? I mean, they're all excellent fighters. Yeah, you know, but the fight, I, I, I talked with Tiafimo uh, the other day, he called me. Oh, I called him to congratulate him on being selected as the fighter of the year by the Boxing Writers Association. Uh, and we discussed opponents and so forth. And his dream uh, would be uh, to fight uh, the winner of uh, Ramirez and Josh Taylor uh, sometime next year. Uh, uh, realizing that the winner of that fight has an obligation to fight Jack Cottrell. And then Tiafimo would love to fight uh, because he would then be, I think, maybe the first uh, man in the modern era to have uh, been a unified champion of two uh, different weight classes if he won that fight. And we, uh, I advise uh, Josh uh, that the fight with Ramirez would be in the United States and would take place in early May. And so I had to get him busy getting his visa and all that sort of stuff because uh, they told me that Josh wants to uh, arrive in the United States at least a month uh, before that fight and wants to train uh, in our gym, uh, same gym, of course, that Tyson Fury trained in. Well, one of the things Bob talked about, of course, was Tiafimo Lopez um, and who he might fight next, the number one in the lightweight division. And consequently, we were joined by Ryan Garcia, who recently beat Luke Campbell. And Bob had mentioned Ryan Garcia, and Garcia is a rising star in the sport. We caught up with Ryan from his home in California. Get this right. Spencer Oliver, who's my co-host tonight, right? Former boxer. He's a brilliant character. He's saying how much his daughter, who's a teenager, loves you, all right? So I put it to him. I put it to him. How would it be, Spencer, if your daughter brought Ryan Garcia home? And he said, you know what? I'd probably have to tuck him into bed. You know? I said, oh. what I said, what, what, Ryan, Ryan, what I said was, after what I saw, after what I see with you doing to Luke Campbell, who, by the way, is an incredible little fighter, I yeah, said, yeah. after I seen that, if Ryan Garcia come around my house, you'd probably have to tuck the kid in. I said, because this boy can fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious! Yeah, um, the camera like he's a hell of a fighter. Uh, 
Yeah, that's hilarious. Mm. <laughs> man, man, do you know what, Ryan? Ryan, there was a lot of question marks over over whether you was the real deal, you know, because you had this social media presence and, and you're a good-looking kid, and, and no, and, and you're looking at your record, and there was no real names in there that, that, that were sort of like the top tier of the of lightweight division. So there was a lot of question marks. Luke Campbell was a massive test, and I think a lot of people felt that Campbell was going to turn you over that night, and you went out there and you displayed an incredible boxing display. And I love the fact that you actually, you know, you you got caught with a shot, you went over, you recovered, you went back to this mm. corner, you, you totally focused, showed a lot of maturity. Mm. And do you know what? I think it was I think it was a brilliant performance and you established yourself as runners in a packed lightweight division. Brilliant performance. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. And you're right, you know, there was a lot of questions leading up to the fight. And it was kind of things that I've kind of had my whole career. Uh, often a lot of people would... Uh, I guess, put me down in a way before I got to the opportunity to show who I really am in the ring. And um, I think I took a lot of that in the ring that night. And I used that uh, for my determination and my will to succeed because uh, growing up, even, you know, as a kid, people would always say that I was, um, I would bite off too much uh, that I can chew. So I've always had that kind of chip on my shoulder. So I'm just happy that I finally got to prove who I really am. Ryan, um, I said it um, on the night working with DAZN that, wow, Ryan Garcia's coming on the th in on the throne here like Tyson Fury did in February against Deontay Wilder. He is making a massive statement because, you know, hubris is a word that often comes into effect when someone's really putting themselves out. You put yourself out there, you took your first knockdown, you got up like a champion, and you came up with that equalizing power to stop Luke Campbell. But mm. in that one performance, and we heard it from Bob Arum, the brilliant, legendary Bob Arum, who was just on the show before you came on, he's talking about you fighting Tiafimo Lopez now. In my view, do you agree that you have become the golden ticket for everyone else in the lightweight division? Uh, you know, in my career, a lot of people, uh, like I said, it's been a story uh, my whole my whole career. I've always had the, I guess you would say, the hype, the fame around myself. And after my fight with Luke Campbell, I think it solidified myself as, uh, yeah, the golden ticket in, in order to fight me. You know, uh, it's going to take, uh, it, it would be a blessing as in like money-wise, financially-wise. I know that in my heart, I still want to fight the best fighters out there. You understand what I'm saying? But I do also understand that I can bless a lot of people through fights with me. So I'm in a predicament where I, my love for the game is, is enormous. I want to fight Teofimo Lopez. I want to fight Javante Davis. Uh, I want to fight the best fighters out there. Uh, so, but now it's all about being... Uh, being aware, but knowing that I fight for other people other than myself. You know, I fight for the fans. I fight for uh, my family. I fight for everybody that supports me back home. So I have to be strategic, but I also know I will always say true to myself. I want to fight the best, and if it has to be tough female, I will also fight tough female. You gave me a wonderful interview before you fought Luke Campbell on Zoom where you said you understand the responsibilities for the generation of 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 25-year-olds, and to follow their dreams and don't listen to people that say you can't do things. Now, how did you get so many Instagram followers? Can you remember the, the, the avalanche? And does Mum Lisa vet all the girls that are chasing you at the moment? 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, it's funny. It's hilarious because um, I always had a feeling in my heart. For some reason, that social media was a big part of the game, even before it was a big part of the game. So I kind of knew that I needed to use that as a tool. It's just more of a knowing because I, I grew up in that generation. So it was a priority for me already. But and then one day I just did a video and it blew up and obviously I didn't let go of that opportunity. I understood it and I continued to do it no matter what people said. You know, people said um, that's going to mess you up or uh, it's just going to be a distraction. But I knew that I could handle it and it paid off. Uh, So, you know, social media was just a thing that I used to connect to my fans. I used it to connect to um, to the generation that I'm talking about. You said you mm. said that I said um, I, I'm trying to be a good example as a champion to this younger generation. And I think that's been missing a long time. Uh, somebody other than Manny Pacquiao, right, as a great example to to once you mm. get to the top, right, right. A lot of people like to forget. Uh, how they got there and they don't share their story and they don't give glory to God. I mean, ultimately that's how you got there and how I believe. So I will always stay true to myself and I will try to be the best example I can be for this younger generation. Mm. Yeah. Ryan, I I was going to ask how much pressure, you know, having that social media presence and, and, and stuff like that. And people, you know, going into that last fight with Campbell's just use that as an example, how much pressure does that put on you having such a big social media presence and, and people not, not maybe recognizing you for your boxing skills, but more for your social yeah. media presence. Does that put a big bit, bit of pressure on you going into a fight of that magnitude? Mm, I think I would be lying if I didn't say that it put pressure on me. I mean, it's quite obvious it puts um, enormous pressure on me. I mean, every time I get in the ring, I have thoughts like, man, I, I, I do I really like boxing. You know what I'm saying? That it's because mm. of the pressure that's put on me. And I, I mean, I have times in the locker room, I'm like, do I really want to do this? Like, this is, this is horrible. You know what I'm saying? Mm, but then I sure. take it as in, yeah, but then I take it as, like, it goes both ways. But then I say, you know what? You know, I, I have all this for a reason. You know, this pressure can make me into a diamond if I'm able to handle it. So I, I kind of use that as fire. Like, okay, I got this pressure on me. I put in the hard work. That's why I work so hard. So the work will come out. So I'm just going to trust in that, trust in God, and go for it. So it, it, it goes mm. both ways. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what champions yeah. do. Absolutely. Um, One of the things that fascinates a lot of us about you is – you know, and I got to interview you in your home the other day on Zoom, and you you talked about how normal you are as well, and that's almost there's this weird gift inside. You know, you you you're angelic looking. You know, you're a very handsome young person who people wouldn't imagine. You could stand at the end of a bar, and people would never go, "That guy's a fighter over there." But something comes over you. How does Ryan Garcia, apart from going on hot boxing with Mike Tyson and getting Tyson to call up Tank Davis and you wind him up on the phone, which was a brilliant show. And if you haven't seen that, anyone listening, go and watch it because it was very funny. And Garcia is spitting bullets on the day. You got very excited. How do you chill out, Ryan? What do you do? You know, what are the parameters of things you can do outside the gym that you can actually go out there and chill out? What do you do? You know, it's a mixture of a lot of things. Um, It's a mixture of being with family, friends. It's a mixture with finding a way how to use the blessing I have for good. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people out there hurting. Um, There's, I, I mean, what I've seen getting more and more to the top is 
set. Why, why forget? I mean, I see, I remember coming from where I came from, and I remember hurting. And there's actually there's still people hurting. So I have to, I have. That's what gives me, I guess. That's what keeps me calm. You know, that knowing that I have an opportunity to help people out there that need help, and I could do it. I could, I have the blessing to do it. So it's kind of just finding my way in that, you know, finding a charity that I would want to get involved with, finding, uh, I guess, just things to be involved with to help the people that I know are in the situations because I was in the situation. And I think that helps me outside the ring because when my back is against the wall, like, say, uh, Javante Davis calls or, or you know, my lying comes out, my fire, you know, it's something that, you know, I, I just, it's different. You know what I mean? I mean, you've seen it a couple of times and I told mm-hmm. you about this. Like, it's, it's just, it's not that I don't, I, instead of being like, it's not nervous. It, it's fire. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm. Ooh, let's go. Like I'm ready to do this. Mm. Ryan, yeah, be- when you, when you walked away from the ring against, um, beat after beating Luke Campbell, it's very interesting. I watched Sa- Saul Canelo Alvarez talking in your ear very seriously Stop laughing at my Spanish. Podemos hablar en español si quieres, Ryan, porque mi co-host está riendo de mí porque hablo español. Listen, Spence, shut it, zip it. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Let me speak Spanish with the kids, you know? <laughs> um, when, when, you, when, you walked, when you walked away with Canelo after the victory against Campbell, Canelo was very seriously talking to you about things, and it was like he was immediately pointing out things to you that maybe weren't right in the ring. Is that is that right? And is that a massive help for you? Yeah, yeah. He's um he's like what you would call a big brother. If he first tells you what you did wrong, and then he tells you how proud he is of you. So that's amazing. First, amazing. Yeah, the first yeah the first thing he said was, "Oh, you got caught because this." And the obvious reason we understand because we're boxers. So obviously he was like, "Ryan, this that," and I was like, "Yes, you're right." Um, I just obviously lost concentration for a split second. I mean, Campbell was a great fight. He caught me on the chin, would knock out any. I mean, that shot would put it down. Mm. I, I, I'm sure most 135-pounders, I mean, that shot was on the chin. Luke Campbell, they, they say he's not a hard punch. Come on, man. That man has snapped. He caught me on the end of his shot. That's where his power really comes from is on the end of the shot. So he caught me with his full power, his full, you know. It was a great shot. Just, just what can I, what can I say? It was a great shot. And uh, so Canelo obviously told me why I got hit. Um, but then he also said how proud he is of me. He said, I'm proud of you. Like, I, you, I'm going to miss this. Like, he was saying, I'm going to miss this boxing game when I leave. He just he just was saying that, like, I, I'm going to miss this. And he was just so proud. I Like a big brother, he was so proud. Um, listen, it's lovely to have you on the show tonight, Ryan. Spencer and I were really looking forward to speaking you. It, to speaking to you. It's... You have just described the mark of a champion there, someone that doesn't walk away with their success, but walks away realizing what they've learned about it. And that, as Spencer knows, because he's been there and done it, is the mark of a guy who will continue to learn. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and we look forward to talking to you, documenting your career and your extraordinary life. Thank you for us tonight, Ryan. Thank you guys so much for having me as well. Uh, one thing I want to say to all my fans in the UK, thank you guys. Um, the one thing I also want to say is, you know, for some reason I've always had a connection to the UK fans because 
if anybody keeps you honest, it's you guys. So keep being honest. I've always been a fan of the UK fans, which is hilarious. But thank you so much, you guys, for the support. And thank you for keeping me honest. And I just want to say that. Great stuff there from Ryan Garcia. Fascinating young fighter. Um, and a very fascinating young trainer was up next on the show. Ben Davison, of course, who did extraordinary work with Tyson Fury and is now training Josh Taylor and has worked with Billy Joe Saunders and others. Here's what Ben had to say. Ryan Garcia, the lightweight division. Tiafimo Lopez, who's the number one at the moment. Vasyl Lomachenko, we don't know what he's doing in the division, but um, Devin Haney. Yes, you're Ben Davison. Devin Haney, um, Javonta Davis, um, Cambosos Jr. It's a very, very exciting division. What did you make of Ryan Garcia's performance against Luke Campbell? Mm, hard one, hard one to put it because I'm trying to think. I was impressed. Um, I was certainly impressed in areas, but I also thought there was some big obvious areas for um, areas for improvement. But with that being said, obviously he's got a fantastic team around him, which I think he will make those improvements, know what areas to work on. I actually saw a video and it really, it really stood out for me. And this is the difference. This is why I think that I'm confident he'll make those corrections. As he left the ring and was heading back to his changing room, he bumped, obviously bumped into Canelo, celebrating with Canelo. On the way back, they hadn't even made it back to the change room and Canelo was explaining to him where he went wrong, mm. things that he did wrong. They wasn't celebrating what he did right. They was pointing out what he did wrong. That is the difference. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, he's done all the calling out afterwards, obviously, Devin Haney in the arena and Javonta Davis afterwards on hot boxing with Mike Tyson calling up Tank Davis. I'm sure you saw that. We all did. Um, but he, he got up when he was knocked down. He proved he's, he, he's got something. Luke Campbell is, is a very, very, very good fighter as well. And I think you were watching Garcia a lot, weren't you? Because he made you watch him. And, and the, here's, my, here's my point that I'm trying to get to with you. In that lightweight division, it could be that Teofimo Lopez, Javonta Davis and Devin Haney all beat him but he's still the big draw for all of them because of this extraordinary 8 million followers he's got on Instagram. And I don't say that lightly, that, wow, look, he's got... It just does work that way now. The power of the, of the social media kind of momentum that, you know, that Donald Trump had to get into power, that, that, that the American authorities and Twitter had by taking away his 82 million followers from him, by taking his Twitter account away that Garcia, I've, I've already called him, I called him on my William Hill uh, final round show this week. I called him, he's like the Justin Bieber of boxing. Loads of people hate him, loads of people hate him because he is Ryan Garcia, because he's King Ryan, he came in on the throne, he gambled like Tyson did against Deontay Wilder, but he lived up to the billing. He got a spectacular body knockout. It was, it was brilliant. He's got an equaliser in those hands. So, and, and, and in many ways, even though those other guys that I just mentioned in the division, including Basil, are massive fighters in our sport, within our industry, the wider reach, the success, the mainstream success, the being treated as a star, he's almost the golden goose for all those other guys in many ways, you know? 
Yeah, a couple of points that you made. Like, obviously, like you said, he got knocked down by Luke. There's positives and negatives within what happened in that moment. Obviously, went straight down. Ego, young, inexperienced of that happening to him, jumping straight up. But look at the character that he showed. Stepped straight back to Luke. Um, the way he went about it after getting knocked down, that, that shows a hell of a lot of the type of person he is and the type of character he is in terms of the boxer, Ryan Garcia. What you're talking about in terms of the profile and the, not character, but it is a character to a degree. You know, you've got Tyson Fury and you've got the Gypsy King. They're two different, they're two different people. And as soon as, like I said, as soon as Ryan Garcia finished the fight, Canelo and the team around is pointing out what he did wrong, not celebrating what he did right. Then he goes back and exactly like you said, goes straight back to work, doing podcasts on the Mike Tyson thing, building his profile from that. And those are the reasons why, you know, he's, he's working. You know, he's got a successful social media platform, YouTube channel, all these kind of things. And that's all part of work. That's all part of why he's a big name. But he's not just a big name because of that. Because as you said, you know, you've got to be a good fighter to be able to beat Luke Campbell. And uh, he showed his mettle. But, but I, I, I'd said going into it, you know, you know this as well. He does hold his chin up very high and his chin's there. For his next opponent, Luke has probably exposed something that they will work on now again and again and again. That, that his guard is bound to get better now because it has to. It has to. It's as simple as that. Otherwise, he's going to get knocked out by those three I just mentioned. And he might this well do. And it wouldn't surprise me if he gets knocked out a couple of times anyway. Yeah, this is, this is, this is the thing for me. Like, right now, they're all, they're all pretty young. At the moment, I wouldn't. You know, who beats who as of right now is different to what I would say who comes out on top in a few years. Now, their mentality and how they go about their success will determine who comes out on top. But that's the $64 million question then. Who is going to come out on top in like two and a half years? Who do you reckon? I believe that Devin Haney will Mm. simply because I've seen his mentality in a moment and in a time where it would have been very easy for him to have got carried away with himself. So I'll give you the story, actually. I'll give you the story. I was in a gym in Las Vegas. Devin Haney arrived with, with a big team. Now he's 20 or 21 years old at the time. World champion. Comes into the gym with a full team, big team, sparring two guys. Punches the life out of them. After the sparring, I'm talking to the sparring partners to say, yeah, you could have done this. Maybe you should have done that. In this situation, that happened. You should have done this. Devin Haney, at 20 or 21 years old, after punching up the two sparring partners in front of the gym, already WBC world champion with a full team around him, shouts over, coach, can I get some of that work? So he comes over asking for advice, hungry for advice, wanting to learn, where can I improve? That mentality, which is the similar type of mentality of what I'm talking about with Ryan Garcia after his fight, he didn't go back and have a load of happy clapping cheerleaders around. Yeah, Canelo Alvarez telling him where he went wrong. Well, my thanks for Spencer Oliver, Ben Davison, Ryan Garcia, Bob Arum, Claressa Shields, Josh Taylor, Frank Smith, Carl Frampton, as I say, joining us on a bumper show and for, to Spencer of course who was great value on the night on our three hour show enjoy the podcast listen to us on fight night I'm Gareth Davis signing out you've been listening to the TalkSport fight night podcast see you next time
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 